This is Prayer Room Companion, episode 58, recorded June 23rd, 2011. Hocus Corpus what? Welcome to This Week in Prayer Room Companion. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Bergwald. And I'm Father Andrew Dickinson. And uh, we were, first of all, you can tell probably by voices that Father and I are together again. Yay! um, In the same... Beautiful studio here at the Diocesan offices. In our luxurious compound. The, uh, yes, the uh, Wald. Uh, no, not Wald compound. No, that's something else. Uh, so, Father, we... There's a retaining wall outside. Are you feeling ordinary these days, Father? I always feel ordinary. It's ordinary <gasps> time. Bo- no, 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 no. no. It's not Green. Life. Green. Ordinary, just from the ordin- ordinal numbers. One, two, three, four, five... That really actually is historical. One, two, three, four, five, six, well, seven, eight, the or- nine, ten, so they didn't 11, have a, 12. They didn't have a, a, a name to call the season, so it's just the ordinal number season. Ordinary. It's not because time is ordinary. It's because of the numbers. Seriously. Look at All up. right. All right. Sounds good. Anyway, that's what we're going to talk about today. We can talk about ordinary. That'd be an ordinary time. conversation. That'd be an ordinary conversation. Wah, 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 wah. Hey, humor. <laughs> so uh, we are recording on Thursday the 23rd and would 10 this days This would be the month ago? of June. In June, <laughs> 2011 A.D., uh, ten days ago or so was the Feast of Pentecost, the Solemnity of Pentecost. Then last Sunday we had um, the Solemnity of the Most Holy Trinity. You are Why don't we talk about? We could have waxed theologically and biblically about the Trinity last week. What were we thinking? I don't know. You're the one that sets the agenda. Oh, oh. Um, we th- we talked about salvation history. Uh, well, today, traditionally, this coming Sunday, uh, for most of us in the States, is the Feast of Corpus Christi. So we thought, it, we with all these different feasts, we got the Sacred Heart coming up next Friday? No, no, no. Yes, next Friday. Friday, July 1st. The 1st. And then uh, the Immaculate Heart of Mary. The, Saturday, July 2nd. The Saturday, July 2nd. The date of my engagement. Aww. Yeah. Well, July 2nd is the date of your engagement, or the Immaculate Heart of Mary feast day is the date of your engagement? Uh, The Immaculate Heart of Mary feast day is the engagement. It was in June. Very nice. 12, 13 years ago. Anyway, uh, enough about me. Um, So, Corpus Christi. we thought we, Father and I thought we'd talk about Corpus Christi. So what, what is Corpus Christi, Father? Well, first of all, I think we need to clarify the name Corpus Christi. Just uh, yeah. because uh, growing up, when I've been growing up, but even when I was older, my dad, uh, God rest his soul, he's now uh, deceased. But my dad would always refer to this feast as Corpus Crispy. Corpus Crispy. Uh, my dad, uh, never a Latin scholar then, and he never <laughs> pretended to be a Latin scholar. Um, he was an accountant and a, uh, a hopeful writer, hopeful author. Um, but so Corpus Christi, now that's the Latin word for body, corpus. Uh, you might hear like corporal or corporation, corporate. You might know that word mm-hmm. in the English language, talking about a body. Uh, Corpus Christi, and of course Christi being Christ. In that sense, Corpus Christi. So a feast of the body and body of Christ. And official title translation yeah. English is the solemn feast of the body and blood of Christ. Right, right. So it's about the Eucharist. Right. About Christ at the Mass, and especially really focusing not just on the prayer of the Mass itself, but in a way focusing on the real presence of our Lord in the Eucharist and that supreme memorial of his saving death and resurrection. And because this is one of the teachings of the church, um, first of all, I guess in the Reformation, historically speaking, in the Reformation that was challenged, uh, not as strongly by Luther as by uh, Calvin and, and the, the, the Anabaptists and so on. Um, Today, it's 
it's not really a challenge anymore. It's just sort of ignored or forgotten <laughs> or unknown. And, you know, they're yes. a poll, the, the sad poll. Up on, mm. People will, you know, point out there, there's some errors in, depending on polls. And I understand that. But still, it's telling that uh, a, a great percentage of Americans, certainly we can say a great percentage, whatever the disagreement about the exact number, a great percentage of American Catholics um, do not believe that the Eucharist is really, truly, substantially the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. And we can unpack that a little bit later. But uh, for the, the thing I think that's important, or my take on that is, it's not that they reject it. It's not that we have done an outstanding job of presenting it to them. Well, yes. And they have said, well, no, that's silly. I don't believe that. It's we haven't done an outstanding job of presenting it to them. We've been remiss. We've been remiss in the way that we presented it and uh, called attention to it, both in the way, I think, uh, in, on the many levels of teaching. We'll put right. it that way. Right, right. So so, so we have many uh, Catholics, at least in this country, who simply don't know the church's teaching. They hear a little bit of something about it, but they, they, they sort of, in a sense, rightly conclude, well, I'm, this is uh, just a sort of a, a solemn holy thing and I'm going to go up and receive this bread and we all receive this bread because Jesus gave bread at the Last Supper and it shows our unity as a community of believers or something. Uh, if they think that much. Right. Some just think, okay, now I can go home. <laughs> so, of course, in fact... Um, Finally, we got to communion. Father preached way too long again. But we got five minutes to go. Is the choir really going to sing that many verses? Done. Or as my kids say, is this the last song, Dad? <laughs> no, no, no. It's not the last I song. say that all the time, actually. <laughs> when I was younger. When I was younger. Yeah. Wait. So... So, of course, in, in fact, the church has always taught, going back, way back, all the way back, that the Eucharist is the body of Jesus Christ. Literally. Very much so. Obviously, sacramentally. Actually, back to Jesus himself. Back to Jesus himself uh, at the Last Supper. And that's why, you know... Father Even before I, the Last Supper, in a certain sense. Uh, right. Yes. He inaugurated it. Inaugurated it? Inaugurated. Instituted it was the word I was looking for. There we go. Um, on Holy Thursday, but he certainly taught about it beforehand. Yep. Um, in Capernaum, at the time of Pentecost. In fact, he was preparing us since, in a certain sense, since all creation. Right, right. For the gift of the Eucharist. Absolutely. You know, that's one of the things I think Father was very nicely teeing me up there. I don't know. I um, was trying to. <laughs> what well, is a lot better when you don't call attention to it. I know, I know, but I have no shame. Um, <laughs> you did a great job, and I just I want to acknowledge that. Uh, during Lent for the Institute for the New Evangelization, I, I spent six weeks talking about the Mass and the Eucharist, and we spent a number of those weeks looking at um, the biblical roots of the Mass, particularly the Old Testament. And there are just a few things that I wanted to, to, to mention um, that just fascinate me. Of course, one of the things, the, the Eucharist, the Mass as a, as a whole, um, and the Eucharist is prefigured in the Jewish Feast of Pentecost. Uh, we, no. no. Wow. No. Wow. Passover. Epic. Passover. Epic. Not Pentecost. Passover. Passover. So Passover, of course, is the, the, the first first Passover was celebrated the night before Charlton Heston led the Israelites out of Egypt. Very much so. Yes. Charlton Heston. Charlton Heston. That great uh, figure from the Old Testament. Uh, Charlton Heston. Um, who played Moses in the movie The Ten Commandments. Uh, no, but the night before the pass or before the Exodus. Um, is that the movie that the Prince of Egypt uh, cartoon was based off of? I, I think so. Okay. That, it, it, yeah, they, uh, it was a modern rewriting of that ancient 1950s tale. Yes. Um, so, 
what are we talking about? <laughs> so we're talking about in the book of Exodus and the Passover. That God commanded the Israelites to celebrate this feast, uh, this, this uh, meal in which they were to take um, a lamb, an unblemished lamb. One year old. Um, un, so unblemished meaning unmarked, no, no broken bones, no, no disfigurement. The best lamb in the flock. Uh, as you said, one year old, a young lamb. Um, uh, kill it, roast it whole, and eat it, and then and also take the blood, its blood, and sprinkle the blood on the doorposts and lintels. Sprinkle and, or smear? Well, I think that must have meant smear. Well, I don't know. You know, in the original, the original tale, the movie, The Ten Commandments, uh, it was smeared. But I, I think, I, you know. While we're talking about it, I will look it up. Well, I'm doing that right now since this is your segment, okay. and that way you can. Okay, keep thank talking. you. Um, so, so they they did that, and they also ate um, unleavened bread and drank wine, and they ate bitter herbs as well. Uh, and and God commanded that this was to be a perpetual institution for the rest of time. And to this day, they do this. The Jews every year uh, celebrate the feast of Passover, and they, and they. They eat this sacred meal. And one of the fascinating things to me about the Passover in particular, and it's, it's prefigurement of the mass in this way, is that in the Passover, the, the, the Jews believe that when they celebrate the Passover, when they partake of the Passover meal, they are participating in those original salvific events in Egypt over 3,000 years ago. Um, they believe that the events of the Exodus are being pre, that they participate them um, in a not a symbolical way in a mystical way it's th- these saving events become present before them and they participate in them in the first century uh, father you being the biblical scholar that you are uh, the name Gamaliel yes. mean anything to you yes who is, I've, re- I've read that name in the Bible who is Gamaliel Gamaliel is a Pharisee a scholar of the law and was actually the teacher of Saul that we know as St. Paul exactly and uh, and he's the one in the, uh, the Acts of the Apostles he's also the one who said uh, when they wanted to persecute the uh, church after the resurrection and ascension of our Lord when they wanted to try and stamp down the church he's the one who said uh, rather we should just let this thing go and if it's from God it'll keep going if it's not from God it'll die out which is a beautiful bit of uh pastoral theology absolutely uh, so one of the other things that he wrote that it's not recorded in the bible but we have from from uh, other sources he he talked about how um when 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 uh jewish men and women partake of the passover that that they are present they are participating in the events of the exodus uh so the idea that something that god did long long ago a saving work can be represented now on a, on a on a recurring in a recurring way uh, is goes all the way back to the feast of the Exodus. Do you have a chance to find it at all? Sprinkle, sprinkle. It is sprinkle. Sprinkle, okay. sprinkle upon the uh, lintel and the two doorposts. Two lintel doorposts. is the top part of the door. So so a lamb is consumed, as is bread and wine. Unleavened bread. Unleavened bread. Um. So if you, of course, look at the the Last Supper, Jesus celebrates a Passover meal, mm-hmm. but where normally they were, there would be, they would eat the lamb. He presents himself, and 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 uh, institutes the Eucharist. This is takes the bread and the wine. This is my body. This is my blood. Uh, of course, Jesus is the Lamb of God, as John the the Baptist said. Right, behold the Lamb of God. Exactly. So anyway, so that's that's one of the neat things. So. And then, of course, we believe about the Mass, that the Mass is, among other things, 
a sacrificial sacred memorial in which the passion, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus is represented at every mass. Right. Again, that just that's following from the Passover. And mystic, mystically really present. And I think the great way I always like to think about mystical is mysterious mm-hmm. and that it's happening, but we maybe don't know how. Right. You know, I mean, if you think about, uh, there's a lot of mystery, even though we think we know a lot of things in this world, we don't. I remember my brother, who's a doctor, telling me that with, uh, there's still cancers in this world that we don't know how, like the actual pathology, the death occurs from certain cancers. Hmm. We know the death happens, but we don't know necessarily how, what the mechanism, the pathway is of that death happening. And so with the Eucharist, it's happening. We know it's happening. Our Lord tells us it's happening. The church has taught that it happens, but we don't necessarily know how. Right. Yeah, right. It's there, but we can't explain it. There's a great uh, line in the Catechism uh, in paragraph 1375, and it's quoting my big hero, St. John Chrysostom, uh, where he's talking about uh, the Eucharist. And he says, it is not man that causes the things offered to become the body and blood of Christ. It is not man, he says, but he who was crucified for us, Christ himself. Mm -hmm is the one who's doing this. The priest in the role of Christ pronounces these words, but their power and grace are God's. Mm. God is the one acting. This is my body, he says, that this word transforms the things offered. Hmm. Hmm. I was going to say something, but I will go for it. So St. John Chrysostom, what paragraph was, it? was that again? It's 1375. Okay. So it's Christ who is at work, uh, who is present to us. In right. the- Christ is the one acting by his power that were, that uh, the saving death and resurrection of our Lord are uh, made present to us, uh, even though we don't understand how, but it is by his word and by his power. So the, the uh, so we, we see that, that sort of prefigurement of what happens there in the Mass, in the, the Passover. D- there are two other things that I would just comment on briefly from Please. in terms of the Old Testament prefigurement. Um, the, we read after the Exodus, uh, for various reasons, they, they, they're unfaithful to God. They don't trust God. They have to wander in the desert for 40 years. But even before that happens, the Israelites get nervous. Not nervous. They get hungry. They get hungry. What's God going to? How is he going to feed us? And how does God feed them? With manna from heaven. Manna from heaven. And manna literally means, what is it? They didn't know what it was. They'd never seen it before. So for 40 years, every day, manna came in the morning, and in the evening, quail came. Flesh. So they had bread in the morning, flesh in the evening. Um, so, that, so that miracle happened every day until they crossed into the promised land. Why did the miracle cease then? Because they no longer needed it. Right. Because in their land of abundance, the, the land of the promise, and they're also eating the spoils of our Lord's victory over uh, the Canaanites who inhabited the Holy Land. Well, so one of the interesting things, the the uh, the, the uh, books of Exodus, book of Exodus tells us that the manna tasted like honey, mm-hmm. reminding them of the of, land of milk and honey that they should be le- heading towards. Right. So this was a temporary. This was food for the journey. Yes. And then once they reached their goal, they no longer needed it. So, but one of the fascinating, the fascinating thing, or one of the other fascinating things about um, the, uh, it was also they were, they looked like wafers. We're told in the Exodus account. Yes, interesting. One of the other they're light flake. Yes, exactly. Yep. But we're also told that Moses like hoarfrost, like hoarfrost, whatever hoarfrost is, well, thick frost, isn't thick, it? I don't know. Mm. Moses told Aaron to take some of the manna and keep it in the tabernacle. So some of the manna, some of the bread was put in a tabernacle. Yes. What? With the word of God. 
um, with, with the Torah, the, the law, and 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 why we're told as a reminder of God's love for them. Yes. So bread in the tabernacle as a reminder of God's love and presence with them, a clear prefigurement of the Eucharist. And then the other one, just real quickly, um, the, the, we're, we're also told when, when Moses built the tabernacle at God's direction, God told him to, um, among the other sacred objects within the, ta- within the holy place, to build a table for the bread of the presence. And this was, so there was the, the um, Ark of the Covenant, there was the menorah, the seven... Uh, Flaming torches, the candlestick, lamps, seven whatever candlestick, yeah, uh, and then the uh, and then the bread of the pre- the table of the bread of the presence, and and you, there's a lot you can read about this, uh, but the the thing that fascinated me at the time of Jesus, um, three times a year pilgrims would come to Jerusalem, uh, and, and and what they would they would go to the temple, and the Levites were the only ones allowed to to go into the holy place, right. And they would actually take out one of the sacred objects from the tabernacle, from the holy, from the temple, and they would show it to the pilgrims. What they would take out is the the bread of the presence, the table of the bread of the presence. They would take the bread, and we have this from from Jewish accounts. They would elevate the bread, and they would say to the pilgrims, "Behold God's love for you," and show them the bread of the presence. And and what really and the, and one scholar at least some scholars point out that really the bread of the presence is better it's better called the bread of the face hmm. of God the word may his face shine upon you so the, so again the, the idea of, of bread being related to God and His presence is very much prefigured in the Old Testament right. and of course it culminates with the Eucharist so deep seeds planted in the Old Testament exactly. deep seeds that now are growing up and then find their their fruition in the New Testament and now lived out in the life of the church right where it's not just a symbol or reminder of it literally is God's presence, presence. his face as uh, the famous story that's of Saint John Vianney going into uh, uh, the parish in ours and seeing the man, uh, the simple farmer pray, and he asks him, what are you praying? He says, I look at him and he looks at me. Right. Well, that's one of the things, this is just for me personally, that you know, my, my temptation uh, in prayer is to talk lots and listen a little. Yeah. Um, and something I've taken to do, just trying to do since this Lent began is, you know, I just to be in Christ's presence in the Eucharist. I mean, Father and I, you, you and I were talking beforehand about how, you know, if the two and I, you, you and I are together, um, or particularly when we're praying, we know that Christ is with us. Where two or three are gathered in my name, I am present among you. But he is present in a unique way, the church tells us, um, in a particular way in the Eucharist. And just to to be with him, he looks at me, I look at him, as, as that farmer told St. John Vianney. It's, it's, it's beautiful. Yeah. So it's actually incredibly human too, because we know that just in our humanity, just the difference of seeing someone face to face, being with someone, you know, you can Skype someone, you can write them letters, you can text them, but sometimes just being in their presence is a totally different experience, you know, than actually, you know, you can, you can see thousands of music videos of Justin Bieber, but when you're front row at his concert, it's totally different. Uh, That's how I feel about Rebecca Black, actually. (laughs) Friday. Friday. It's almost Friday. (laughs) Oy, nothing is so quickly out of date anyway. as the up-to-date. <laughs> so, so we have this gift of the Eucharist Father. So, I mean, so, how, go. So I, I think you did a nice job setting up with the Old Testament. What's the New Testament then? Uh, how is our Lord himself teaching us about uh, the Eucharist in the New Testament? You know, I, I just, I, 
it was enough for me to try to talk about the Bible in the Old Testament, Father. I mean, I are really, you spent? <laughs> I, I, what what you tell me? <laughs> I've been blabbering on. You, it's not fair. You're dying over there because the systematic theologian is talking about your thing, the Bible. So I want to be fair. Well, the Bible you. is clearly not my thing. And so <laughs> I forgot all my Greek when I learned Hebrew. Forgot all my Hebrew because I only took a semester. Um, and I'm also philosophically deficient, according to one of my professors. Ooh. But that's another story for another time. Uh, the uh, New Testament, a couple places to go. One... It's kind of fun because it's just so out there. I remember when I was kind of going through a little bit of a intellectual awakening in the midst of college, uh, being awakened to the scriptures and how biblical the or how Catholic how biblical the scriptures are, how Catholic the scriptures are. Uh, one of the passages that really struck me was John chapter six, yeah, uh, which is just this beautiful long discourse, and it's all about the Eucharist. I mean, it starts out with a, a miraculous feeding. Um, and the authority, the power of Christ, especially with the walking on water. This is all about his power, his authority. Mm-hmm. Who is this Christ really? Mm-hmm. He's God. Mm-hmm. He's God. And now, then what does this God want to do for us? You know, he wants to save us. He says, Moses saved the people of Israel. This Jesus, who is God himself, is going to save us as well. But he's going to save us through his death and resurrection. And so it's it's... I don't know how you can read these passages, especially verse 25 uh, through the end, without thinking about the Eucharist. In fact, uh, a couple weeks ago, I was uh, had the displeasure of flying, <laughs> and I, I was sitting next to you. I had the pleasure, though, sitting next to uh, a nice man uh, from South Dakota here who's heading back to, uh, to the Sioux Falls Airport as well, uh, who was Baptist. And so I was, of course, in my cleric, since he was asking me some questions, and you know, well, when we talk about the book of Genesis, I'm like, yeah, let's talk about Genesis, you know, and he want to talk about creation and evolution, all sorts of things like that. And I said, you know, I, I as a Catholic, I love the book of Genesis because it tells me about the why of creation, but I don't necessarily lead it in a uh, strictly literal fundamentalist fashion, you know, that it was seven 24-hour days. And he says, well, aren't you just kind of complicating things in Scripture, you know, making things kind of difficult? You know, I just, I just read Scripture for what it is. I said, you just read Scripture for what it is? He said, I read Scripture for what it is. So I said, well, what about John chapter 6? He said, what do you mean by that? I said, well, you know, in John chapter 6, Jesus says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread which I shall give for the life of the world is my flesh. And the Jews disputed among themselves, said, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus says to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Our Lord is hitting us over the head with the (laughs) Eucharist there. Uh, and he really, no, I, my, my new Baptist friend didn't have an answer for that. But, you know, it's uh, Jesus just very, very in, it's, it's also interesting. This is occurring during the time of Passover near Jerusalem. And so Jesus is drawing their minds to the Passover, to everything about Moses. And that's going to be on their hearts and minds, I should say. Jesus is taking an example and then teaching about himself and promising what is to come right. in him. The, one of the fascinating things to me about this passage, too, is so the Jews start murmuring and he, he kicks it up. And then, right. they, and then they leave. They start leaving. And he, what doesn't he do? 
doesn't chase after them, doesn't correct them. I was a metaphor. I was speaking symbolically. He doesn't do that. No. In fact, he turns to the 12 and he says to them, "Um, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see, pardon me, I'm ahead of myself there. Uh, He turns to Simon Peter and he says, will you also go away? And Simon Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And so now Peter is himself saying, I got no clue what you're talking exactly. about. Exactly. And you're talking about flesh, but I've seen that you are the Lord. Right. Going back to the fact that Jesus just walked on water. Right. right going back to the fact they just fed the 5,000. So he isn't forgetting here. He's living in gratitude of the past, remembering the good things that God has done that he's seen in his own life, which is always a hallmark of all good Christian discernment. Yep. yep. And he continues on to trust our Lord. It's a, yeah, he does not say, well, clearly you're speaking about transubstantiation, which the uh, accidents of the bread and wine remain, but the substance is replaced with your body, blood, soul, and divinity. At the words of institution uh, and by the epiclesis and the power of the Holy Spirit exactly. that you will soon give to us that you haven't taught us about yet. <laughs> he doesn't, no, as you said, he, it, it, as far as we know, Peter doesn't get it any more than any of the other Jews who are leaving. His no. brothers and sisters who are leaving. He doesn't have understanding, but he has faith. Yes. And with faith, then you can seek exactly. understanding. And, you know, Father, I think that's a great, just that, that is a great example for us. Mm-hmm. As great. There are things that inevitably that we'll come across that the church teaches or asks of us. Maybe we don't understand. But or like. Or, or like, certainly. But do we, whose example do we follow? That of the Jews who leave or those? Like or the Pe- Jews who stay. Like Jesus, or like Peter and the others. Yeah. I don't get this, but I trust you, and I'm staying. Exactly. So, uh, so that's a great passage. I encourage you to read that. I think another good one uh, is uh, the connection between the Last Supper and Emmaus. Right. Absolutely. Yes. And yes, Luke yes. chapter 22 and Luke chapter 24. So of course, in Luke chapter 22, uh, we have the Last Supper, and uh, Jesus uh, he says the words of institution. He's he, now, mind you, too. I think. We kind of take it for granted. We've heard these words so many times. Take this all if you need. This is my body. You know, it's, it's passe. Right. But, you know, Jesus is changing the ancient rite of Passover. Right. And he, he just changes it uh, with, his own, with his own, by his own words. And so it says here, uh, verse 19 of 22, he took the bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them. So four verbs there. You know, let's be grammar nerds for a moment. He took, he gave thanks. Uh, he broke it and he gave it to them, uh, saying, "This is my body, which is given up for you. Do this in remembrance to me." And then after, like, uh, and likewise, the chalice after supper. This is the chalice which is poured out for you. But now, if we go ahead then to Luke chapter twenty-four and the story of the road to Emmaus, you familiar with this story? I think so. Excellent. It's a be- it's, it's a great story. Read it, verse thirteen, following of chapter uh, twenty-four. Two disciples leave. Um, from Jerusalem heading to Emmaus to their home. Jesus appears to them along the way. What are you talking about? Well, you know, we thought this Jesus was pretty cool, but now he's dead. And But now some people say he's not dead and we don't know what to do. We're kind of confused and we're hungry. And Jesus says to them, well, didn't you know the scriptures? And he gives them the best Bible study of all time, but they're not convinced in the best Bible study of all time. Mm-hmm. And uh, they go to Emmaus and they sit down for dinner. And Jesus says, uh, and in the course of the dinner, it says, verse 30, when he was at the table with them, he took the bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. He took, blessed, broke, and gave. Now, so notice how Luke is using the same words, those same phrases that he used mm-hmm. uh, back at the institution. So he's drawing a clear and direct connection. They're at table, blessed, broke, gave. And now this is Sunday. So this is four days after uh, the Last Supper. Oh, right, uh, right. That's good. Yeah. 
Okay, four days after the Last Supper. And, um, and in that, their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And they themselves say, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened the scriptures to us? Right? But at the same time, they didn't recognize him until the breaking of the bread. Verse 35, um, they go and uh, talk to the, the apostles, the 12, and they say how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread so right. that he was really present to them right. in the breaking of the bread. They, they, they had a stirring. They had an idea that maybe he was there, but it wasn't until the breaking of the bread that they knew he was there. Right. So we have this this feast then, which uh, really I mean didn't didn't become universal for for centuries. Uh, I think 13th century um, is when this feast became universal. But it, it's continuing what the church has always believed and celebrated: the fact that in the Eucharist Jesus is with us, body, blood, soul, and divinity. It's really Him. Does it look like Him? But it is Him. Right. Um, and, and, and of course, he gives himself to us, particularly to commune with us so that we might be able to receive him and receive the graces, the power, the life that comes from him. Uh, and so in this, this solemnity that we're going to celebrate this, this Sunday, uh, we, we celebrate um, everything about the Eucharist and what Jesus has given to us. Right. It's uh, St. Therese of Lisieux says it very beautifully. And she says, our Lord did not come to live in the tabernacle, but to live in our hearts. Right. And so certainly, certainly Eucharistic adoration and processions, and processions are sort of on the way back. And yep. they're, 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 uh, Ours got winded out this year at the Newman Center. Did it? Yeah, we had like 40 mile an hour, four, 30 mile an hour winds, 4 mile an hour gusts. I wasn't going to set a monstrance on a table outside, yeah. a movable altar outside yeah. in that sort of wind. So, so we're doing that more, but it's all oriented ultimately towards Holy Receiving, Communion. right. In fact, the church calls it worship of the Holy Eucharist outside of Mass. Right. And the church teaches that it's for the point adoration isn't a thing unto itself, adoring the Lord isn't a thing to itself, but it's to lead to a deeper participation in the prayer of the Mass and in your actual uh, communion with our Lord when you receive him, body, blood, soul, and divinity right. to, at the Mass. To increase our, our desire for... Our desire for him and our openness, receptivity to him, our attentiveness to him. So, you know, in the past, Maybe I think after the council, there's this, you know, sort of uh, overreading of that, overemphasis on Holy Communion, where, you know, all those other things went away for a while. But now they're coming back because there is a healthy balance. They're, they're meant to lead us to greater devotion. And if we at Paramount Companion are anything, we are healthily balanced. We certainly are. <laughs> any any final thoughts, Father? Uh, it's it's a great feast. Learn more. Read scriptures again. You know me the. Bible nerd, but read John. If you have never read John chapter six, read John chapter six, uh, and read in the presence of the Eucharist. You know, uh, read uh, read. Uh, there's some great paragraphs on the Eucharistic presence. Just I, the, from the Catechism. I, I, this is going facetious. I thought, at first, I thought you meant you were recommending a particular book. Read in the presence of the Eucharist. But you're, no, you're saying when you do this, yes, go read to John church six in the presence in the presence of the, of the Eucharist. Eucharist. Right. And then uh, also read uh, some great paragraphs in the Catechism, 1373 through 1381. Uh, some great paragraphs on uh, the real presence. But, of course, any of that you could branch out from there. But, right. you know. Yeah. Yeah. Good. So, so certainly take advantage that these feasts are there to remind us of these truths uh, and that we might uh, enter more fully uh, into them uh, and receive, of course, in this case, the Eucharist with greater, greater devotion, greater adoration. Which will bring then, uh, we believe, greater fruit and greater transformation and conversion in our own life. Amen. All right, Father, thanks again for being here. My pleasure. And we'll be back again next week with another episode of Prayer Room Companion. God bless.